He konai purangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Hello! 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 Oh, I'm going to have to turn the video off. New Zealand talking to Samoa. The 21st century technological tyranny of distance. Broadband speed is just one of the challenges of rugby in the Pacific. Oh, I'm so sorry. I really wanted to talk to you guys and look at you guys. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to work. No worries. Combine that tyranny of distance with COVID keeping Samoa's borders shut for nearly three years, the lack of resources for women's rugby, and the number of things women have to deal with just to be able to play the game. And you'll understand that women need to keep a sense of humour about the situation. I hope it wasn't too much to get you guys up. I'm really Dawn's up early, not me. <laughs> you, made me you made me get dressed. I'm, I'm, on leave. I'm on leave from work, so I'm not at work. So That's why she had yeah. to come to your house. Make sure but you I'm get still getting texts from That's Tale Anderson. You might know her as the host of RNZ's Champions of the Pacific. And she's talking to two true Pacific champions, the pioneers of women's rugby in Samoa. Dawn Rasmussen and Susan Vaughnali. I was at the National University of Samoa Faculty of Education when Susan joined us and she came and she said, oh, let's start up women's rugby. And at that time I said, oh, that's a good idea. Susan had already played rugby in New Zealand and Australia. So I happened to say to her, hey, there's no women's rugby here. Why? Because, you know, Samoa, it's very... Everyone knew Manu Samoa. This was 90... Seven. So, you know, the World Cup was 95 in South Africa. Everyone followed it. The mana was there. So, it's you know, rugby is second nature over here, but there were no women playing. So that's why, that's why I said to Dawn, let's do it. And then we advertised it, called for people to come in. We were surprised at the number of women or the young girls who wanted to play the game. It was well over. Yeah. It was over. Yeah. It was many. Wow. Yeah. That, that's, that's some um, big numbers. To yeah. be honest, it wasn't really hard. It was just getting people organised. Yeah. Sorry, Tali, did she say 100 women? Sure did. That's amazing. So what was the next step? Dawn reached out to the Samoan Rugby Union development officer she knew, Waya Abelu. Dawn said to Waya, hey, we, we're going to do a 15s team. Can you help? And he was very supportive. Mm. So it helped having him being, he was the, yeah. our first uh, support. Mm. And then we knew the people down at Polytech because at mm. that time NUS was mm. separate to Polytech. So they said, oh, we'll get a team up, yeah. a women's team up, mm. and we'll play each other. Yeah. And then the next thing we know, Waya comes to us and says that he has got mm. um, a position for us to play one of the curtain raisers. Mm. To uh, New Zealand A was coming over. New Zealand A was playing um, the Manu Samoa at three o'clock, and he'd got us the position at twelve midday mm. as a, as one of the curtain raisers. And to be honest, I didn't believe him. So they've just started a team, and almost instantly they find themselves playing a curtain raiser for the national men's side. I didn't believe you. I just went, ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no way, there's no way that we're going to play on RPF. No, 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 yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. And it turned out. And so as soon as we got that date, mm. we talked to Polytech and we said, mm. this game as a curtain raiser will be between us and you. Mm. So you start training and we'll start training. Mm. We had a couple of practice runs. Mm. That was fun, wasn't it? <laughs> it was hilarious. Pretty incredible, right? 
in the National Stadium at Apia Park. And it was really funny because the refs, it was like, what the heck? But you know, once the refs were on board too, they understood that, yeah, we meant business. I think they thought it was going to be a joke. But, you know, we made it, um, I made it really serious. Our team was really serious. And as in boots, mouth guards, um, proper boots. So uh, mouth guard, we got sponsorship for mouth guard and proper rugby jerseys yeah. too. On July 18, 1998. So that's less than 25 years ago. Yep, on an overcast day with the stiff breeze and 30 degree heat, the women of the National University of Samoa took on the women of Samoa Polytechnic and the first official women's rugby game in Samoa was played. It was interesting on that day when, they, when the girls went in, when they ran in onto the field, all the boo! <laughs> wow! But when they saw the girls, when they saw the girls passing the ball and the way they played, they were just, the booing turned to cheering. Yeah. The jeering to turn to cheering. That was yeah, what cheering. we said in the end. Yeah. Yeah. That they were just all oh, they were so surprised. There were some rugby union people that they turned around and they were saying, What on earth are you doing? Why did you bring up the women's rugby? And I said, if you're not a person who plays water, then don't talk to me. <laughs> Just let it be, you know. And then it, it was really interesting how it then we then got a lot of support. From what Dawn can remember, it was the National University of Samoa team that won that day. This is Fair Game, Pacific Rugby against the world. It's a story about rugby. Wide to Lamu, he's got the bounce, he's handed off his opposite. But it's also a story about money and power. Oh, it's, it's not a fair game now because certainly the island nations haven't uh, got enough money. Sometimes they have to choose between representing their, their country or um, not being paid. History and race. I can never be told to piss off back to the islands, you coconut. Is it a fair game? When it comes to Rugby World Cups, until 2022, Samoa was the only Pacific nation to have played in the women's tournament. In fact, countries like Kazakhstan and Scotland have played in more World Cups than any of the Pacific nations. So in this episode, we're looking at equity, equality and passion. In 2021, Manusina, the Samoan women's team, booked their place in the final qualification tournament for the World Cup, but they didn't get to go due to COVID restrictions and financing. Missing out due to COVID restrictions seems a bit cruel. Yeah, ultimately it came down to a combination of things, the pandemic, lockdown restrictions in Hong Kong, there were challenges regarding re-entry into Samoa, which included a six-month ban for anyone who might test positive outside of the country, and then there was just uncertainty about available MIQ spaces for the 26 players returning to New Zealand. So they just weren't able to get to Dubai. Oof, that must have hurt. When we hear about the challenges our Pacific men's teams face, the struggles, the barriers, you multiply that and I could give you an entire series on what rugby for women in the Pacific looks like. But we've got like 45 minutes. All right. So what have been the biggest challenges? I mean, we did have, we did have struggles with, minister, with the government, with the with the 
uh, rugby union. But to be honest, we took no notice. We just went, oh, okay. And then, you know, we just went ahead and did it ourselves. We just did it. And we don't need, we didn't need um, rugby union to approve anything, did we? We just went ahead and did it. They knew people didn't want them playing. They were told they shouldn't be playing, but that didn't stop them. They had support from individuals in the union, enough women to field a team, and sure enough, a crowd curious to see whether or not they could play. The women didn't come to rugby by themselves. They came together with older women and men, either the, 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 the Ahai Matai in the village mm. or, or the Whaiwhiao and his wife. Mm. They were the ones that said, OK, you yeah. go and organise the women so they can play, you know, or you, um, tell the boys they have to share the field. Just some Samoan 101 here. The Hai Matai is the high chief of the village and the Fefeao is the minister or spiritual leader. So if these guys are supporting them, everyone in the village best be supporting them. You know, to be honest, the, the, the actual boys didn't really want to share the fields, but they didn't really care really. They were quite happy and they ended up being quite supportive of their sisters and mothers and, um, you know, aunties and stuff playing rugby. Um, mm. So we had, we certainly had had people saying we shouldn't do it, but it wasn't really loud. Was it loud? No, we just went ahead and did it. And we had the support of the girls and their families. It was 1924 when the men's union started, but it took 74 years after to see an official women's game on the field. Why so long? I think was just trying to get people to accept the women playing rugby here in Samoa. But, um, but it, I mean, by, by then we started having, I mean, people beginning to accept it and to see that we were getting international competitions and that we were being recognised internationally and that was really, really good. Yeah. And also was, again, and also then our bonding with the, with the members in New Zealand, the Samoan women's rugby in New Zealand. It's 2002 and Samoa have qualified for their first ever Women's Rugby World Cup. My parents are very proud, um, especially my dad, because um, we come from a rugby family. So in Samoa, yeah, so lots of us played for the village, you know, your village. Um, but I had a, f- a couple of uncles that played for um, Man Samoa or Samoa um, back in the day. So, so yeah, to have, um, you know, his daughter playing, his only daughter, um, playing for Samoa, yeah, he had a very proud parents, and, um, but very supportive too. We're in Auckland, New Zealand at the Otahuhu Rugby Fields talking to Mulia Ngatele, Nua Fulau, Alai Sala Te Maota, Bekulich Leavasa, best known as Ella, Samoa's most capped women's rugby player with 14 test caps for Manusina. Did I hear right? She's the most capped player? Yep. With only 14 caps? Yeah, 14 caps over 15 years, which says a lot about where the women's game is compared to the men's. And for a Samoan woman wanting to play the game for her home, her culture, it came with a lot of sacrifices. For me, it was, uh, I think this is 
time away from uh, family, the 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 you know every day where you're spending um, lots of your time training in between work or study, um, and trying to find that balance. Um, uh, I had well the I had one where I was really. Sh- I had to take a year off school um, I had a walk up to to attend like it was my goal Alice 43 years old and she was born in Samoa but migrated to New Zealand with her parents and four siblings in the early 80s she began playing rugby in year 10 while attending Marsalon College but graduated from Epsom Girls Grammar School the year they formed their first rugby team oh my god it's okay. And, um, I had to take a whole year off school because I, you know, I had to be away. I was going to be away for like six to seven weeks and school, like, I, they wouldn't let me come back and continue my schooling because a lot of the stuff that, that I would miss was all practical work, which I had to be there to learn and to pass. So that was one. It was quite hard because that delayed me from graduating from school. But, yeah, Um, but I wouldn't change it for anything because, yeah, because I, you know, I got to get to to the World Cup and and I achieved my goal of making the squad (laughs) and putting on that jersey. Um, But, yeah, but that was one that was really, um, that was really hard. She made over 50 appearances for three different teams in New Zealand's domestic rugby competition since the early 2000s. She also played for the World 15s team, and she's still in the game as the team's physio. It's special representing any country, I think, uh, but when you do play for Samoa and I suppose any uh, Pacific nation, um, our, our, our struggles to get there are enormous. It's The Undertaker. Yep, this is Tawa Nu'u Nick Bakulich. Long-time supporter, manager of the women's team, and Alice's husband. And he's the undertaker. There's a South Auckland rule that you have to mention. Nick Bakulich is the undertaker. <laughs> um, if only, if only people knew, um, yeah, the struggles that people do have to go through. And and largely, you know, we're amateur. Uh, women have to uh, juggle uh, their jobs, their study. Um, some who have children. Uh, women who are largely responsible um, caregivers for members of their family. Um, and um, you know, spending that amount of time away and then also the pressures of you know, how you're going to pay your, your rent or your mortgage um, and then putting in the whole uh, uh, physical effort of trying to be um, as fit as you can. So when you put this all together to the moment where they're lining up to sing the national anthem, it's a huge moment. One where women can say, I've done it, I've made it. And the result on the field isn't necessarily how you measure their success, because they're on the global stage having achieved something with very, very little resource and very, very little support. Allah was crying there, wasn't she? She was. And so you'll probably find that's why a lot of the women get very emotional when they talk about their journey. Just just putting on the, the jersey and knowing that... Oh my Oh my god! That <laughs> um, you're just re- you're representing not only yourself, um, your family, your village, but you know, um, 
yeah, all of Samoa, and I think that's. And I've represented at three World Cups. <laughs> it's quite emotional. It is. Oh my God. <laughs> but it just shows how special and how. Yeah. And I, you know, you don't, especially now you don't realise it, but when you reflect and think about it, like just all the sacrifices you had to go through to get to those those points, and you know, every every World Cup that I've been to, I've been really special. You cannot underestimate how emotional a moment this is for those Samoan players out there, those Samoan supporters in the stands and for Samoans all around the world as well. Earlier we heard from Dawn and Susan about the support for women's rugby on the island. Turns out attitudes went very different in New Zealand. You know, in the game, uh, whether or not rug the rugby field was the place for women, uh, was uh, obviously a discussion uh, at the time. Um, and, you know, I think some of the uh, attitudes um, were certainly, um, we would probably find quite un unacceptable today. <laughs> um, and, you know, look, um, you know, there were views that uh, women who played rugby were overweight, toothless, and um, just drank beer, <laughs> uh, which was far from the truth. Any thoughts, James? Nope. I'll let Nick fly solo on this one. Um, and you know, I think we're just such an, in such a good space now where uh, there's a lot of acceptance, and for the sheer fact that uh, women rugby players, uh, junior line athletes. Uh, who have been able to um, show how good they are at the game of rugby. You know, and globally you can see it. Good save, Nick Bakulic. Safe. It would have been a good save if he didn't keep going. We, we actually had a lot of really committed players back then. Um, and at that time, the pool of players that we had, uh, rugby was, um, yeah, was, was quite a priority. Um, and I think we were pretty fortunate. Uh, in the early 2000s, uh, that we had um, yeah, a woman who lived and breathed uh, rugby. Uh, I think it's a little bit different nowadays. You know, um, I, I, I think you don't get that same kind of commitment. Um, but yeah, certainly um, a lot of the campaigns were run on a um, smaller an oily rag and a, on a wing of the prayer. <laughs> so it's a bit of the old back in my day, run on a smell of an oily minority rag and a wing and a prayer. In other words, no money, no resources, and again, very little support for the women's game. Yeah, I, I, I think the, um, you know, the fact that uh, you know, around the resources, yeah, you, um, you, you probably would have found, uh, you know, going back 20 years ago, that you know, women's teams uh, were normally given the hand-me-down gear uh, from the boys. Um, and then you, you find yourself going away on a tour um, and the girls looking like astronauts. Now a skip and a run from Ufunga, the captain. Up the park she goes. Strong run from the centre. She has some support. Decides to keep going. Ufunga still going down the sideline. Brilliant run. What a try for Tonga. Opening try of the Oceania on the The idea of having a women's team was brought to the union. And it wasn't really a, a, a committee or the, it's just the, the development officer at that time just called for whoever 
collect a couple of girls who ever wanted to play rugby, and I was one of them. This is Vehoka Tuavai. She's the vice chair of the Donga Women's Rugby, responsible for the women's game in Donga, and has been involved since their first team was established way back in 2006. I remember when we come down to the training, they was to say, um, you're going to be the first uh, Tonga national women's team and represent Tonga. Then. And then uh, just a just couple of weeks before the game start. Just remember we're talking about Tonga here, not Samoa, but it's a similar situation. But they didn't give us much uh, time to prepare, so the, 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 uh, the calling up the squad, it wasn't really the, like the, the normal uh, procedure for, 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 for a national team to, to have an uh, actual squad and then training and preparation, all that. But then uh, back then we, we just thought that that's how, that's the normal of uh, for a rugby team. Tonga played their first international test match against Fiji in 2006 at the Women's Pacific Tri-Nations. While the game seemed to be growing for women in Samoa and Fiji, and we'll hear from Fiji shortly, the game for Tongan women stalled, and it took 10 years since that first team was put together before women's rugby was established under the Tonga Rugby Union. At that time, in 2016, I found out there's the Supi... Uh, the Tonga women's rugby, uh, women's rugby can form a committee or association under the umbrella of Tonga Rugby Union. So I went ahead, I grabbed a couple of uh, women that they, they keen to help out, to support uh, starting this uh, committee. And then we, we started the first uh, Tonga Women's Rugby Association on the 29th of February, 2016. Now, that all sounds positive, but then two years later, this happened. Critics have been swift to condemn Tonga's education ministry after it told a school not to let female students box or play rugby. The ban comes from the belief by some government officials that women competing in such sports goes against Tongan customs. In 2018, a letter from the Ministry of Education informed staff at Donga High School that girls shouldn't be playing such sports because it goes against young women's dignity and Dongan culture and traditions. Donga's Prime Minister at the time quickly reversed the decision after there was outrage from the public and fans. But what role do culture and traditions have when playing the game? I, I, I know culture, culture is uh, really strong here in Tonga, traditional culture. But uh, for us, but, but because rugby is one of the, as I said before, it's a popular sport for, for, for Tonga, it's, uh, it's, it's starting to be normal for, 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 for women's too. By normal, fehoko means accepted. But accepted by who? What we did when the minister banned the, the rugby, it didn't stop us because we still reached the girls through community. Is it a fair game? As we heard in the last episode, much like the Fiji men's, the Fijiana are on the rise when it comes to women's rugby. Luenengila to Rocco Uono. A new champion is crowned in the Super W. 
The Fijiana Indrua etched their name and nation into women's rugby history here in Australia. In 2019, they qualified for the World Cup for the first time. In 2020, the Fijiana Sevens took home bronze at the Olympics. Then the Fijiana took silver at the Commonwealth Games, and the Indrua won the Australian Super W in their debut season. You know, I was asked um, after the Olympics, I was asked, you know, what it feels like winning the bronze medal. This is Vela Naofukiri, Women's Development Officer for Fiji Rugby Union. I said, we were expecting to reach the podium, we were expecting to get, the, get there, win a medal. But to me, uh, I broke down after the match when we were back at the village, when my messenger was flooded with videos, flooded with videos of male cheering for us. That was the turning point. To me, that was the biggest achievement because it took me, uh, took me about 20 years trying to change mindset. More than 20 years, for women's rugby, more than 20 years to change mindset. She's worked in rugby for more than 20 years, starting as a senior writer for Devovo Rugby magazine. I ended up being an administrator because that's the only way I can contribute to rugby. But then when become part of rugby, I saw something different. It can change you uh, in the sense, because um, I think it's because it's a, a space where it's for men. It change you to, to adapt into that space. So you as a woman, for me, I, I'm just talking about myself. I'm not sure about the other women. I can only talk about myself. Um, you get to do extras. I have to learn more uh, to be accepted into that space. Women understand and know how admin works in the Pacific, but whether it's on the field or in the office, they're still having to prove they deserve to be in these positions. You have to be very aggressive. Uh, you have to know your thing. Uh, you get the, you know, those criticism always, but how you handle it from a, I look at it from a women's perspective. And uh, it's a space where you can actually, when I was working, that's a space where I can distress and I can just scream and shout and just tackle when I'm angry. Um, the pressure from work, the pressure from relatives, the pressure from your friends, the pressure from your boyfriends, you know, I think that helped me too for this role. For women in Fiji, rugby is about breaking down barriers. It's about having a space where they can be authentically them, a game that offers more than what you see on the field. Uh, everybody's going through some kind of thing, and they chose rugby to become their safe haven. So that kind of pushed me to, to use the sport to change lives. It did for me. <laughs> it changed me to come out of my shell. I can be very aggressive. I can be very stubborn, but I'm very fragile. Tali, I've never thought about rugby as a safe haven. It seems while there's been progress at what might seem like a rapid rate for women in Fiji, it's taken some time to get to a somewhat level playing field, right? Right. Just like we've heard from Samoa and Tonga, and to be fair, women's rugby around the world, I mean, look at the Black Ferns, they've only been around for 30 years. 
women have had to prove they deserve to be there. So what is it that Fiji are doing differently? Is it just to do with that their population size and non-Pacific people might not notice being five times that of Samoa and Donga? Or is it just the funding that comes with a larger economy? I think it's the organisation. Fiji have both a 15s and 7s programme dedicated for women. And, you know, while they are players that they draw from overseas, the majority of them are homegrown and have international experience. And you see, uh, rugby has existed for what, more than 100 and something years. Yeah, but women's rugby, just less than 30 years. So it's, uh, and we've like exploded in a very short while. But then, but then again, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. When I hear about the progress that women's rugby has made in Fiji, Vella's name is almost always mentioned. She describes herself as an introvert, but she's also someone who's brave, who knows her stuff. She stands in her ground and she can give it back. And she's also someone who has helped develop the women's game. Game time, let's go! Fijiana here. They're going to win it themselves! Marini scores as Vitalini. Marini. And Fijiana are going to win the Oceania Women's Championship. Fiji are the benchmark in the Pacific now, and for teams wanting to follow in their footsteps, how do they get there? It's not about increasing women's number. It's not about getting you know, competition with other sports. It's how rugby can help women, how we can contribute to the community, how we can help with the SDG, how we can advocate on educating more women, on empowering more women. I think that's the the secret that I've been using for, for the number of years that resulted in the... Now I can't control the number of girls. In our culture, um, you know, um, you know, girls, that's unheard of. Girls don't do that. Girls, you know, you leave that to the boys. The girls just do all the, the fails, um, um you know, the, the things that girls should do, but um, playing rugby isn't one of them. We're back in Otahuhu, South Auckland, with Manusina team physio and 14-cap veteran, Alapakulich. So especially back in Samoa, because um, that, in that team that we had back in the year 2000, there was a lot of the girls who were from, well, I think all of us were from New Zealand, New Zealand-based girls that went to Hong Kong and played for Samoa. We heard from Donga earlier about how rugby was banned because girls shouldn't be playing such sports and it goes against young women's dignity, Tongan culture and traditions. But what does that mean exactly? And what role does culture play when it comes to sport? You know the Samoan culture is similar to other uh, cultures where, where roles and tasks and expectations, it's gendered. Most, it's, uh, of course it's gendered. It's gendered. It's, uh, for us, it's for us, for someone culture, it's location, mm. age, and gender, in that order, really. Yeah. This is Susan again, going off in Samoa. I think, of course, of course, the initial thought was it's not, it's only for men, mm. and we went, oh, I don't think so, and they went, oh, okay then, oh, but you might get hurt. It is, it was sexist because mm. it's role. You, you know, you know, you have gendered roles, mm. but you know those things change all the time. Tale. Would you call this sexist? Yes, I would. But this isn't only happening in the islands. 
things are going at different paces in different places. And in the kingdom of Donga, the journey has been a long and slow one. Listen to Fehoko here. There's lots of uh, challenges we face here in Tonga. No one knows, but every time we go the media, we try to stay positive. It's the only way we can move us. We can uh, bring back the negativity and, and uh, yeah. Look, it's important to understand that for Pacific women, they can't just think about what they're doing or saying, but how those things will be interpreted. There's weights on weights. Uh, the challenge is that the most challenge is that we faced it. Um, that the men's uh, controlling everything. And uh, even, uh, even when we... When it's come to to sharing the uh, the opportunity of uh, uh, teaching our women to to know how to lead and to, to look after rugby, like uh, example, to have a development officer for women, um, they the, our last. Uh, Rugby uh, Union Board, they never accept us in as uh, as a part of. Uh, every time I go to the office, I fight with them. I fight with them because I I, I want to I want them to know that we have a voice. It doesn't sound like there's much hope. No, there is. It's been bleak, but we've just seen development teams from Samoa, Donga, Fiji, the Cook Islands and Papua New Guinea come over ahead of the World Cup. That wouldn't have happened 10 years ago. We have lots of milestones. Just from 2020 to 2021, we have, they put us as an observer in the, in the main board, in the main Donga Rugby Union board. So that was the first uh, milestone for us, that we are inside the board, even though we are observer, but we're sitting there and hear all the decisions and we can negotiate things for us. And she told me they've got support from the new CEO and management. We're talking about the Australian CEO in charge of Tonga here, right? Right. So are things getting any better for Tonga and how can we help them? Well, in August, Oceania Rugby launched a programme in partnership with the Australian government's Pacific Oz Sports to positively impact gender equality across the region. Well, that sounds awesome. What does it mean exactly? Fiji, Samoa, Solomon Islands and Tonga will receive funding to provide women with opportunities both on and off the pitch. They say the project will lead to more opportunities for women in leadership roles while making sure there's pathways for players to develop in each country. But is that really going to make a difference? I mean, we've just heard the women in Donga are fighting to be heard. Yeah, it's tricky. They say the process of appointing women to new full-time positions in senior management is underway, but I've been watching and waiting and I'm not convinced yet. Okay, so what would you need to see? I mean, if a country like New Zealand struggles to get just four women on their board, even where they're enticed by hundreds of thousands of dollars in potential funding, 
Once again, I'm just not convinced. And then there's the domestic pathways and competitions which need to be strengthened. So where are they now in terms of competing both at a domestic and international level? It's been a tough few years for those in Tonga who have faced you know, the volcanic eruption and tsunami at the end of 2021. And then there's COVID, not to mention rugby in Tonga as a whole has its issues. I do feel like World Rugby should have a special apocalypse fund for when you have three massive disasters in a year. Yeah, they can play in Oceania rugby tournaments, but local girls need competitions to compete in on island to make the national team. And when I spoke to Fihoko last year, there had been no women's 15s competition for close to three years. She told me they have the numbers to play with more girls and women wanting to participate. They've also got support from those driving the game for Tonga in New Zealand as well, which saw them finish third in the Oceania Championship in July. Nine of those players from the island, some from Australia, USA and the rest from New Zealand. So where to for them? Fihoko said Fiji is leading the way. We look at Fijiana as encouraging us to get up and follow their pathway and follow their, their program so we can see if we can grow our school into a level, the same level as Fijiana. And I know, I know Samoa is on the right path now because they were, they were in, the, in the qualification too. But then only Fiji made it through. But I think for Samoa and Fiji, we 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 were trying to heading the same program and same strategy that Fiji and Samoa are using. So, like with the men's game. It's Fiji that the other Pacific teams are following. Sure, but what appears to hamstring both Samoa and Tonga is a lack of willingness to fund the women's game from what's already a small pot. Yeah, the, the challenges, I suppose, um, um, you know, whilst we, you know, we, we'll always struggle with corporate, uh, the corporate dollar with our Pacific nations, um, you know, then once you go down, um, you know, from your, uh, what people perceive as the main team, and then anything underneath that, you know, we, you know, we certainly had to, um, you know, I mean, we were already fighting for crumbs. We were fighting for the crumbs of the crumbs. <laughs> Do you think the same intensity now goes into the women's space as it does into the men's space? If you're talking about Samoa, uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, because uh, if you look at the funding, World Rugby funds X amount of management to be on the team. Uh, and, and nine times out of ten, we, we would just fill those gaps because we simply don't have the money to have extra staff. I mean, we would love to, uh, but again, you know, who's going to fund it? And unless we've got that corporate dollar to support us, uh, you would find that most uh, management teams are, are made up of the numbers that are uh, funded by World Rugby. Nick makes a good point. Women need more investment if we want to see changes in the Pacific. And Ella explains how that feels. Yeah. So you're there, but it's not like you're, yeah, you're kind of like, kind of like in the background, like you're just like a tick box, <laughs> really. Um, but I mean, you know, the last, since 2018, since um, woman, our women's rugby has been, um, when it started, restart, hey, we had, we had to restart back in 2018. Sorry, the restart of women's rugby in Samoa? What does she mean by that? 
She means the 2017 Women's Rugby World Cup. Oceania Rugby denied Samoa entry into the Oceania qualifiers because they didn't meet the criteria. There was no domestic competition for women at the time on island. So there was a team prepared to go, but there was no local competition? That's right. But keep in mind though, a large number of those players would have been New Zealand-based players. Or how did the Samoan-based players or even the local union feel about that? Well, in particular with New Zealand, um, what the Samoan team, you know, at first it was like we had a little bit of differences where the ones in New Zealand kind of looked down on us. We're back in Samoa with Dawn Rasmussen. It takes me to the, to the time where we were invited to go to, to Hong Kong to Hong Kong and I wanted uh, like a, a player from Samoa to go together with the, with the, um, and the, and the coach just to go to be part of it. But they didn't want it. So just to be clear, the invitation for Samoa to attend the Hong Kong Sevens went to those in charge of Samoa women's rugby in New Zealand. Yeah, that's probably not going to end well. Here's what Susan Faungali remembers. So what we found out when we started women's rugby here is that, because uh, back then it was a Hong Kong Sevens, there was no international um, uh, circuit. Mm. What we found out was that the invitation for mm. Samoa, for women's rugby, for example, at the Hong Kong Sevens and at some other ones, mm. the invitation for Samoa went to yeah. New Zealand. Mm. And New Zealand said, yeah, we'll do it because we've got all the Samoan girls and they did it. And so when we... Oh, it started in Samoa. We went, uh, I don't think so. This is similar to what happened with the men's game. Before rugby went professional, you could only trial for Manu Samoa by being in Samoa. You had to physically go there if you wanted to play for them. I think Dawn was, I was the one that was more um, um, annoyed, but um, Dawn was a lot more um, patient, <laughs> a lot more patient and open, but I just went, no, um, it was okay in the past because there was no women's rugby yet. Now we have women's rugby. We have a season. We have a da 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 That uh, if Samoa gets invited anywhere for women's rugby, sevens or fifteens, it's us that goes. And we choose who goes, mm. not them. So, that, of course, they didn't like that. Is there a balance or should there be when it comes to representing your heritage? Women's rugby in Samoa is for women in Samoa, not for, not for women in New Zealand. And that was the stance of the Manu Samoa years ago. You could only try that, and then you could only trial for Manu Samoa by being in Samoa. Mm. So they, you couldn't trial from overseas before the whole professional thing. You had to come to Samoa and trial to be in the Manu Samoa team. And our position was the same. My position was the same. I think this is one of the one of the only arguments we had, me and Dawn. Actually, <laughs> you remember that? Yeah. We didn't argue very much, but that's what we argued about. And I'm the New Zealand born, and I'm the one that's saying no, 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 no. And, I'm and, you're, one. And, you're, and you're the Samoan one saying, I think we should give them a chance. I went, no, they can go and play in New Zealand. We need, we need to do Samoan girls. Let me get this right. Susan, who was born in New Zealand, thinks the team representing Samoa should be based in Samoa, while Dawn, who is Samoa born, thinks there should be more of a mix. Right. Okay. Look, I'm not getting between an auntie argument. What's your take on it? I'll leave it to them. No, I'm just saying, you know, it's always good to have a combined one because we have some very good New Zealand ones and we've got some good ones here. And if you want to get into the World Cup, 
or into a higher position, you have to merge them together. It's almost the same as the Manu Samoa mm. and the All Black players. They now I'm glad that they're allowing the, the Pacific Island people to go back and play for their teams. Mm. Mm. But it was New Zealand, you know, that because to get them together and it will also build up the strength and the talent of our local ones. My, my position, my position right from the beginning was that. Um, we started women's rugby for women in Samoa. So my objective was not to get to the World Cup and win the World Cup. Gosh, it's nice if that happened, but that wasn't my objective. My objective was to bring women's rugby to the women in Samoa. I think that is something that gets lost at the higher levels of sport. These people who are starting teams, starting unions, trailblazing the game in countries, they're really doing it for the love of the game. We've got some of our girls here are doing amazing things for sports for women in Samoa. So they've just, you know, because, um, uh, yeah. Uh, representing your country is, is, a, is a whole new kettle of fish that's, that, that is opened. But, you know, New Zealand does have a habit of um, not just rugby, I might add, but trying to represent Pacific Islands when they're not, they're New Zealand, you know? I don't want to be responsible for the second argument. <laughs> Don't worry, don't worry. We've got more things to worry about. But anyway, that, I mean, that's, and that's what I mean. We have different uh, things. I feel like the UN needs to hire Dawn and Susan as conflict negotiators. True. With a New Zealand view, here's The Undertaker, Nick Bakulic. Well, I, I think we, we've, we've got a far better relationship now. Uh, and I think um, over the last five years, yeah, we've seen a lot more collaboration. Yeah, because at the end of the day, yeah, we all need each other. Mm-hmm. You know, we're all um, we all represent the one team, um, and I think there's there's a really good spirit within the girls that we've had the last three years. So whether whether or not they're Samoa based or they're from Australia uh, or uh, in the United States or New Zealand, um, there's just um, a real spirit of um, collaboration and. Um, the world that you know, we actually need each other to succeed. International listeners will know that diaspora dialogue is not just a Pacific issue, but it really does complicate any discussion around representation and not just on the field. Like I said before, there's hope, optimism even, and pathways for women to play in the game is better. Here's Ella. I'm just like in awe of all the opportunities opportunities that the girls have now that we didn't have back then. Mm-hmm. Like we would love to have contracts or, you know, get paid to play the, the game that you love and um, and being able to travel overseas and play for, you know, different clubs overseas and what they have now and just a lot of the rugby tournaments that they have now. Um, but back then, there was... Yeah, you only played for your club and then if you made the rep team and that was basically it, really. There's an increase of support and participation amongst the women's game across the Pacific, in Samoa, Tonga and Fiji at least. New competitions like Super Rugby Aupiki have landed on New Zealand shores, while Fijiana have been included in Australia's Super Rugby W. OK, but finish this sentence. The sleeping giant that is Pacific women's rugby has barely woken from their sleep. It's about time. <laughs> it's about time that they've had um, uh, the Super Rugby for women. You know, um, there's lots of us, pl- you know, play play the game. Um, 
and represent different regions. Um, but uh, that's, uh, it's very exciting. Well, it's, it's another pathway. Yeah. Um, and it's another dream come true, really, mm. you know, for those who have been around uh, long enough in the women's game. And while the new eligibility rules, which you've covered in other episodes, is a major positive for the sport, Nick Bakulich has found a problem which highlights one of the major development issues. But eligibility is a very interesting uh, component in itself because there are, you would be very surprised the amount of players who don't understand um, the eligibility rules. Um, and um, that's, a, that's an interesting study in itself uh, where players didn't know about the One Nation rule. So not everyone understands the rules, but for those who do... You know, even though the men's are excited, but we're even more excited because it's just our playing pool has just increased, you know? Because, yeah. you know, those who may have only put on the black jersey, the black ferns jersey, for, or even um, Singapore. We had a one that played for Singapore and now excited because now they've had that time lapse between um, the last time they played and, and, and now they're, like, you know, putting their hand up to represent. Well, it feels just as with the men's sides, that fans can get revved up to see what their Pacific teams can do with a fully souped-up roster. Honestly, James, I feel like it would be a disservice for our Pacific nations not to be hopeful for the women's game, as if optimism is what is keeping them sustained. I don't even think passion does justice to what I got from these interviews. They just want the opportunity to show what they do. These women just want to play this game that they love, that their family loves. That's all they want to do. And the fact that they can have the same love, same passion, same spirit for rugby that the men do, and it's just a thousand times harder, it's, it's not right, James. It's just not right. And remember, for the opportunities of having New Zealand and Australian domestic competitions, there's also dangers there too, where players who would otherwise have chosen to play for their Pacific national squads could instead make themselves eligible for New Zealand. Um, I would probably think um, at this early stage of the eligibility change that it would probably almost be against the spirit of the change if New Zealand started looking at players who have already played for Pacific Nations. We've got the um, Moana Pacifica team for the mm. men's. Would you like to see a Pacific team for the women's as well? <laughs> yes, that would be so good if we have a Moana Pacifica team. Just imagine if we did a... For that, you know, that would be awesome if we, you know, down the track, we would love to have a Moana Pacifica women's mm. team. That we. That's the next step. That's yeah, the next step. Absolutely. Written and produced by James Nokise, Tale Anderson and John Daniel for Bird of Paradise Productions. Radio New Zealand and Pacific Media Network. Language Program Director, Matt Tufunga. Executive Producers for RNZ, Justin Gregory, Katie Gossett and Tim Watkin. Sound Engineers, Rangi Poek, Alex Harmer and Jeremy Ansel for RNZ, Harrison Edwards at PMN. Music and Sound Design, Anonymous, Faumu Matthew Salapo. Visuals, Manatoa Productions, Anonymous and Krista Barnaby for RNZ. Additional Reporting by Lethe Mavono. Additional sound recorded by Rudy Bartley at WT Media in Samoa. Special thanks to Don Mann, Louis Villasoni, Langipoiva, Cheryl Jackson, Jody Hoane, Josie Campbell, Elijah Fafio, and Ingangaro Fakafi. Thanks to Sky Sport, TVNZ, TV3, and Discovery for game audio from TV broadcasts. RNZ Commissioning, Jody Hoane, Tim Burnell. RNZ Acting Head of Content, Veronica Schmidt. RNZ Interim Chief Content Officer, Megan Whelan.